You're listening to Cancer Covered. Most oftentimes, especially in phase two or phase three clinical trials, the minimum that patients are going to receive is the standard of care that they would be receiving outside of the clinical trial, with some possibility of receiving something that could potentially be newer and better in addition to that standard of care. You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. And I'm Kyla King. And we're your hosts. Cancer treatment has improved significantly, but it still isn't good enough. And as long as people are still dying from cancer, it never will be. The pace of progress in cancer treatment is limited by access to clinical trials and the number of people willing to participate in them. That's why we're so committed to bringing research opportunities to local communities. And it's also why we'll never stop asking for our patients to help. One barrier for many people is commonly held misconceptions about what clinical trials are, how they're conducted, and the risks involved. In this episode, I asked Dr. Brian Burnett to do some myth-busting and discuss what research is, what it isn't, and how you can get more involved. Brian, how long have you been involved in research and enrolling patients on clinical trials? Well, including some of my training as well as my career here at Green Bay Oncology, it's been about 15 years. And I did some checking before we sat down today, and it looks like you've been nationally recognized just about annually since 2014 for your exceptional achievement in patient enrollments in the National Cancer Institute's Treatment and Cancer Control Clinical Trials. Why is research and clinical trials so important to you? Well, from a very foundational level, it's my firmly held belief that clinical research is the standard of care for cancer patients and that that's the minimum. And if you're not providing access to clinical trials, you probably need to work hard to bring them to your patients. So I'm passionate about improving cancer care, both for our communities as well as my family. I've had family members affected by cancer that sure could use some better treatments at sometimes. So I think it's really my foundational belief that this this is the standard of care and it's something that we are committed to providing. So how often do you have to myth bust regarding clinical trials? I think that's a bit variable. There are patients that come to us that are asking about clinical trials and are actively engaged in searching the internet to find access to clinical trials and and then see if there's any in their region or that they could have access for. So we have patients regularly asking us about them. There's a, a other side of that that patients don't know anything about clinical trials. And if you mention it to them, they really are standoffish at first. They don't want to be as part of an experiment and have some misconceptions about what clinical trials are and what they what they aren't. So it, it probably happens as frequently that patients are very well-versed and actively engaged in looking for clinical trials as it is people with very, very strong and potentially incorrect perceptions about what clinical research is. What are some of the top myths that you hear? First of all, there's a notion of people being guinea pigs and trying to poorly thought out experiments on them. And that just simply isn't the case. The science and the oversight 
the rigor through which clinical trials are developed is kind of the opposite of that. When people are on clinical trials, especially the ones that we participate in through the National Cancer Institute, these are developed by some of the leading minds in the field and performed and evaluated and followed by experts in clinical research that have been doing this for years and years. And being able to participate in those clinical trials brings that sort of rigorous oversight into how we care for patients in the community that otherwise may not be there. What's another one that you hear frequently? There's a a myth that patients will not get treatment if they're on a clinical trial, and that is almost never the case. Um, There are clinical trials for an unmet need or for which there's no standard of care for or no approved therapy. There are some clinical trials that will randomize patients to a, a newer drug that is filling an unmet need for which we don't have any therapy for currently, and in which case sometimes that's a randomized clinical trial and people do get what's called a placebo. But that's the exception rather than the rule these days with how far our cancer cares come over the last even five or 10 years, our standard of care for most cancers has been firmly established. And we're comparing that standard of care with perhaps another drug, perhaps immunotherapy or a targeted drug versus that standard of care alone. So most oftentimes, especially in phase two or phase three clinical trials, the minimum that patients are going to receive is the standard of care that they would be receiving outside of a clinical trial with some possibility of receiving something that could potentially be newer and better in addition to that standard of care. The past can have a powerful effect on our perceptions today, even leading to mistrust. Some notable abuses by medical researchers in the past, both in the U.S. and Europe during the Second World War, when trials were conducted without permission, still linger in the public mind. I asked Brian whether similar abuses would still be possible today. Do you ever have patients ask if they could be signed on to a clinical trial without their consent? So anytime we talk about any new treatment, we essentially are obligated to obtain what's called an informed consent that the patient understands what the treatment is, the risks and benefits associated with it and so forth. We do the same thing for clinical research, just it's spelled out in a bit more clear language and written form. So the National Cancer Institute that conducts and and supervises such clinical trials know 100% for sure that the patient is aware of the risks and benefits potentially associated with participating in clinical research. So it's something that we do every day, all day, and talking to patients about treatment options, but it's done in a bit, bit more rigorous fashion for clinical trial enrollment because it may be some slightly different risks or benefits that that we may not otherwise cover. I know one of the myths that I hear frequently in the community is that health insurance does not cover the cost of clinical trials. Is that true? One thing that the Affordable Care Act did when enacted by the Obama administration was to mandate that insurance plans needed to cover the cost of clinical research. And in the several years after that bill was passed, we had to educate some of our regional insurance networks that legally you need to cover the cost of clinical research. There's some exceptions to that, but those exceptions are quite uncommon. So especially phase two, phase three clinical trials that 
are very close to the standard of care. The insurance companies have an obligation, a legal obligation to provide that and to reimburse for it. And the reality actually is insurance companies would be unwise not to cover the cost of clinical research because oftentimes patients will be getting drugs at free of charge to them that are dispensed or provided by the National Cancer Institute or some other sponsor that will not be charged to the insurance company. So especially with the cost of some of our newer and potentially better treatments these days, it could run thousands upon thousands of dollars. Boy, if I was an insurance company, I would never decline coverage for a clinical trial, knowing that it's in the insurance company's best interest, actually, to allow patients to enroll and fully support it. Patients worry about many aspects of healthcare, access, cost, confusion, but cancer patients especially worry about the side effects and toxicities of treatment. This is true even for well-established treatments. And many patients assume that for new and emerging treatments, the toxicities and side effects must be even worse. So I asked Brian about it. Another misconception that I hear pretty regularly is that clinical trials are dangerous. I would not say clinical trials are dangerous. I'd say that clinical trials do have some risk, just like anything else in medicine. Any treatment we do, any any management strategy we develop, there are going to be risks and benefits associated with all of those. And it's up to the cancer care team to make sure patients understand those possible risks and benefits. And in some cases, and I talked to a patient today about their treatment, this young woman, there's about a 100% chance without treatment, her cancer is going to harm her and probably take her life. Well, there's a one or two, three percent chance of something very, very bad happening with treatment. That one, two or three percent, something really, really bad happening to her. If that happens, boy, that is awful. But without these treatments, there's a hundred percent chance of harm without them. So I think we need to take that into context as well. There's patients with high-grade lymphomas or acute leukemias that the outcomes just aren't anywhere near what we would like them to be. And if patients are enrolling in clinical trials and have a slightly higher risk of of some complication happening from therapy, boy, for many patients, that's acceptable because there's so much room for improvement with developing better cancer treatments. No one should carry the burden of cancer alone. And while every physician approaches cancer with their own unique skill set, we all agree on this one simple idea. Hi, I'm Dr. Gayu, a physician at Green Bay Oncology. The truth is, a cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and overwhelmed. And these moments are exactly when you need support the most. That's why all our doctors rely on the support of our team of qualified medical professionals. And here's two of them. Hi, I'm Madison Young. And I'm Tom Beckers. As social workers, we see how meaningful connection brings strength and healing to patients and loved ones facing cancer every single day. Our patients and physicians agree, sharing your experience in a safe space with others is powerful and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual and in-person cancer support group facilitated for you, wherever you are on your cancer journey. So whether by internet, phone, or in-person, you'll have access to the support of a community on a similar path. To join us, visit gboncology.com and click on support. 
So if a patient enrolls in a clinical trial and then weeks or months into it, they have a change of heart or decide it's not what they want to do, are they able to stop being on a clinical trial after they've committed to being on one? Well, I think that's the same whether somebody's on a clinical trial or not. Patient's a boss. If they agree to do something and then change their minds, whether it's on a clinical trial or off of a clinical trial, or their situation changes, that perhaps life or relationships change, or they move out of the area and they aren't going to be at a center that has a clinical trial that they were originally enrolled in. Well, life happens and it's up to patients to drive their own medical care again, if they're on a clinical trial or not. But there's no obligation to continue to be involved in the clinical trial or treat on a clinical trial if somebody changes their mind or doesn't want to. They can withdraw consent, which essentially means they've decided not to participate anymore and we can't collect their data and we can't expose them to whatever treatment they were getting. And then in that case, they may just shift to standard of care treatment or some other option that may have come up. There's a a couple other things that I wish I didn't have to talk about. Maybe I could choose not to, but there's conspiracy theorists out there. Much of our our National Cancer Institute-funded clinical trials are part of the National Institute of Health, which is funded by the federal government. And these clinical trials take down people's information. And we trust the National Cancer Institute and the affiliated groups of protecting that information, confidentiality, and not letting it get into the wrong hands. There are people out there that don't trust the government with anything. That's a hurdle to overcome, especially in the politicized days we're living in now. There are some people that just are not going to be comfortable with this because the government is involved. I think that's unfortunate. I think there's good people in place at these organizations that protect patients as much as they possibly can to safeguard from any sort of way in which the government or any other group could take advantage of people. Uh, The National Cancer Institute is dedicated to improving the health of our population now and in the future, and that's it. There's essentially no risk that the government is going to take advantage of, of people in that fashion with their information. So it's not one of the most common misconceptions that I've I've heard out there, but every now and then I'll have somebody tell myself or somebody on the team or a family member, boy, if I enroll in a clinical trial, that doctor will make more money. That actually couldn't be further from the truth. When we enroll patients to clinical trials, it takes time, effort, and energy. We need to bring those clinical trials through a regulatory process, get them approved and authorized. We need to do feasibilities at our centers. We take the extra time to go through consents and discuss somebody's care with the research team. And we have to sign quite a few things back and forth from the National Cancer Institute, assessing people's toxicities, how they're doing, do tumor measurements, submit all this information. It's actually quite a bit of work. When it comes down to it, that's time. That's time for our providers. And that takes away from doing other things. So at the end of the day, it isn't, doctor, you'll make more money for doing this. It's, doctor, you'll have less time to see other patients other patients that you bill for and that drives revenue for your practice. So it's actually opposite. Doctors don't make more money by providing clinical trial opportunities to to patients. They probably make less and that's okay with us. Changing perceptions and misconceptions isn't just about myth busting the negatives. It's also about reminding people about the positives they may have forgotten or overlooked. Brian knows the great potential that clinical trials can offer 
and his enthusiasm for clinical trials is contagious. What do you want patients who may be considering participating in a clinical trial to know? We've made some dramatic advances in cancer care in the past couple of years. Recent clinical trials for patients with what if you read on the internet is the dreadful triple negative breast cancer. With somebody with an early stage but lymph node positive breast cancer, even 10 years ago, there's only a 50-50 chance of being alive and well in two or three years. Now, because of clinical research, our most recent clinical trials put that more at between 90 and 93%. Patients with acute leukemia that are older than the age of 70 used to live a few weeks. Now, oftentimes with the modern treatments that are almost brand new from the past year or two, people are commonly living one, two, three years, and even older folks curing their leukemia. The change has been dramatic and it's escalating. People are getting such better care now as they were even two, three, four years ago, and that's because of clinical research. The reason why that improvement has been achievable is good, thoughtful, hardworking people that are out there in the communities are willing to discuss and potentially enroll in clinical trials to improve the care. People have done it for them, and many of them, once they understand that, will want to do it for others. Now, as a medical oncologist, as well as a hematologist, we keep up with medical journals and newer and better things that are being published and reported at, at large conferences and, and so forth. Now that I've been in practice here in Green Bay for 10 years or so, there's clinical trials that I participated in and enrolled patients in five to 10 years ago that now have had long-term follow-up and long-term outcomes reported for those clinical trials. Boy, one of the coolest things that I get to do is when we see one of these clinical trials reported to be able to call a patient or see them the next time they came in and said, thank you for enrolling in that clinical trial and participating. This is the article that was just published that showed what you did impacted others and improved the care for your cancer. And we can't thank you enough. And people have tears come to their eyes that they did something that made a difference. And that's what clinical research is. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Covered. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com. Mm-hmm.